Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us in the study of God's Word. I also want to welcome our friends from First Baptist Church of Arco, Idaho, and First Baptist Church of Kalispell, Montana, and also the Hangar in Marion, Montana. We are so glad that you are joining us, as well as some of our high schoolers are here in our 945 service as well. Would you let our high schoolers know how much we love them? And we support them, and we praise God for them. And I want to add my thanks to uh, Pastor Eric's for uh, giving to camp. I, I want you to know, camp changed my life. Uh, I, the, probably the most formative thing within my life, uh, my dad knew of a camp that just had tremendous uh, anointing of God on it. And it was in upstate New York, near the Canadian border. And we lived in southern Virginia, near the North Carolina border. But every summer, my mom and dad would drive me up there because uh, they really believed in, in Christian camps can influence and can mold a life. And boy, I went to camp there all through my younger years and worked there in high school, college, even a seminary, right up to the time I became a pastor. And it was probably the greatest influence in my Christian life was camp. And so I'm just so grateful for those that have given so generously uh, for our wonderful high schoolers and fifth, sixth ministry and junior high ministry. I praise God for how he has used you to change their lives and to change your world for Christ. Now today we're going to finish up our series, Fearless. And we've talked about a lot of different fears and what the Bible says about those fears. We've talked about the fear of being vulnerable and feeling vulnerable towards other people. We've talked about the fear of what other people think about me. We've talked about the fear of poverty, the fear that I won't be able to protect my children. Last Sunday, we talked about the fear of failure. And today, we're going to finish up our series with the fear of total commitment to God. And here's the commitment choice that I'm challenging each one of us to make before we leave this place. The commitment choice goes like this. I choose to commit all my life and will to God's care and control. Now, that doesn't mean you have to live a perfect life. Uh, you stumble, you fall, and God picks you back up again and forgives you in Christ and through his death on the cross. So it doesn't mean we're going to live a perfect life. It doesn't mean that we're going to be 100% committed 100% of the time, but it does mean that we should strive to make that true. Okay, we, sh we should strive with all that we have. We should ask God, God, I want to be totally committed to you. And when I fail to do so, will you pick me back up? Get me on my feet once again. Will you forgive me? Because I am sold out to the cause of Christ and I am sold and totally committed to you. I choose to commit all my life and will to God's care and control. Now, why are people afraid to become fully committed followers of Christ? Jesus gives us a few reasons. 2,000 years ago, the reasons were very similar to the reasons they are today. First of all, they want life to be easy. As they were walking along the road, um, four different histories of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Luke says as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, and Matthew, in his account, his historical account, he adds an additional detail that this was a teacher of the law. That means this man had it made. Uh, he was wealthy. He was prestigious. He had a great reputation. He was powerful. He wasn't just part of the one percenters. He was part of the point one or point oh one uh, percenters of that time. He had everything, but in a burst of emotion, he cries out, I will follow you wherever you go. 
I will follow you wherever you go. And this word follow, whenever you see that, that means full discipleship. It doesn't just mean geographically following Jesus where he says to go, but instead it means everything. I will, over my life, strive to talk like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to have values like Jesus, to live my life like Jesus. I choose to commit all my life and will to God's care and control. And if you don't have a mission statement or a vision statement for your life, that's a pretty good vision or mission statement. Next Sunday, we're going to roll out a new vision and mission statement, a set of core values for our church. And if you don't, you should have a personal mission statement, a personal vision statement. And I would maintain, if you don't, have you haven't written one of those, just adopt this one. Just grab a hold of this one. My mission in life, my vision for my life, the purpose of my life is I choose to commit all my life and will to God's care and control. And when you see that phrase follow in the scripture, it means discipleship. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man, that is Jesus, has no place to lay his head. He says it's not going to be easy. I just want to hold you up for a moment. Count the cost before you say that. It's not going to be necessarily a glamorous life. It's going to be a life of hard work. You may have to give up a comfortable life. Uh, But he says, come and follow me even if it's not easy. Uh, Sometimes we're afraid because they're waiting for a better time. Verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, this seems harsh on, on the face of it uh, from Jesus, that he's saying to this man, you know what? You, you can't even go to your dad's funeral. You just got to go right now. But that's not what's going on here. There are a couple of possibilities. One is, Jesus is saying, let the spiritually dead bury the spiritually dead. That is, leave behind those people that are living for right now, living for the weekend, living for the next trip to Vegas, just living for this life right here, right now, living for the next party, uh, living um, for the next thing of this life. He says, let, let those deal with themselves. Let them attend to that business. But instead, you follow me and proclaim the kingdom of God. You follow those that live for eternity, for building God and the kingdom in this life and for all of eternity. Let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Or there's another possibility here, and that is uh, William Barclay, who's a famous Bible commentator. He says that maybe this man's father wasn't even dead yet. He may be talking about a chapter of his life. Maybe his father wasn't going to die for a year or five years or ten years. And so what this guy is basically saying is, let me have a better chapter in my life. It doesn't work for me to totally sell out to God in this chapter of my life. And so I'm going to wait for a better chapter. When my dad's gone, then I'll be my own man, and I can make my own decisions, and I'm free from these family entanglements, and then I can go and, and, and follow you. And so he's saying, I'm waiting for a better time. I'm waiting for a better chapter within my life. And we do the same thing. Uh, some people have a, when this happens, then this will happen. God, when this happens in my life, then I will totally commit to you. When I get married, then I'll follow God. When I get more time... Then I'm going to follow God. My assistant, Bev Mowdy, uh, says that I live under the constant illusion that my schedule is going to clear up two weeks in the future. 
And I've been this way for years and years and years, just always thinking. I can't remember being bored since I was 12 years old, I think, ever since I was 13 or 14, just always, you know, have, have something else, something else, something else. And I live under this illusion that it's just going to clear up. And then I get to that two weeks, and then it fills in uh, right again, but I still live under that delusion and illusion. When I get more time, I'll be totally uh, sold out and have higher priorities in my life. When I don't have to work so hard, when my business gets under control, when my work, uh, I get more uh, accustomed to it, then I'll do it. Uh, When my kids are grown up, when I'm an empty nester, then I'll totally commit to you. When I get out of school, high schoolers, this is always a temptation to say, you know what, I'm going to live a certain way in high school or in college, but when I get out of school, then that'll be the chapter when I can totally commit to God. Or when I retire. When I retire, then I'll have all this time on my hands. And uh, retired people tell me that they get so busy in retirement, they can't imagine when they ever found time for work before they retired. And so we say, when I retire, then I'll totally uh, commit to you. And so we're always saying, Lord, I just want a better chapter, an easier chapter, and then I will make that commitment. I love this. I guess you'd call it a poem from a 14-year-old. And this is why we love our high schoolers. They have tremendous wisdom. And this is a 14-year-old named Jason Lehman. And it's entitled Present Tense. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days of the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I now wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted the warmth and blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. (laughs) The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. And we do this in commitment to God as well. I did it as a parent. I thought, oh, when they get out of diapers, it'll be easier. Um, when they enter kindergarten, th- then it'll be easier. When they get to their teen years, then it'll be easier. When they go off to college, then it'll be easier. But as they went off to college, I wish they were in diapers once again. You know. And, and we do this with our commitment to the Lord as well. We say, it's just not the right time. He said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was always told that it's just not the right time for the civil rights movement. This is, it's not the right time in America. It's just not right. And he said these famous words, the time is always right to do what is right. The time is always right to do what is right. Another reason why people are afraid of total commitment is they don't want to leave the past behind. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, again, Jesus is not being harsh here, saying you can't take five minutes to say bye to mom and dad before you follow me. No, he's saying you got to be willing to look ahead and to leave your past behind. People are always looking over their shoulder at the past. They said, you know, I'm just not willing to give up this sin in order to follow him, this habit in order to follow him. Um, I don't want to give up certain friends who lead me away from Christ 
boy, I know this is tough in, when you're in school, high school or college. Are you willing to disconnect with certain friends that are pulling you away from Christ? Now, if you stay in that relationship in order to reach them for Christ, that's one thing. But you know how it is. Some people you influence, other people, they influence you. And so you got to say, am I willing to pull away from those relationships because they pull me away uh, from, from Christ? And the analogy, the picture Jesus uses here is of a person with a light plow plowing a field and a straight furrow. And so they got their eyes ahead looking at the straight furrow that they're trying to plow. And if they were right hand, if they had, they'd have on their left hand, they'd have the plow, the light plow. With the right hand, they'd be goading the ox. And then they'd keep their eyes ahead in order to make it straight. But Jesus says if they ever looked over their shoulder, they would plow a crooked furrow in the field. And so he says you can't look back. you got to leave the past behind and come and follow me. Another reason, Jesus says, is they don't want to pay the price. The Bible is very, uses very strong language. 130 times it describes following Christ as being either a slave or a servant. Either a servant or a slave. That's what it is. 130 times the Bible says this. Uh, there's a price to be paid. Abraham Kuyper writes, There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, It's mine. It's mine. There's not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Luke 18, verse 28, Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. There's that phrase again, to follow you. It's the most common way to describe becoming a Christian. More common than believing in Jesus or receiving Christ, even though those are very uh, powerful uh, pictures. But the one that's used the most in Scripture is following him. We have left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home, or wife, or brothers, or sisters, or parents, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive many times as much in this age, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now again, Jesus is not saying to leave all those things behind. He's, you may have to leave your home geographically. I know our son and, and daughter-in-law, Natalia, are, are leaving to the mission field in Peru, and so they will be leaving uh, not her home because she's from Peru, but his home because he grew up here in the United States, even though he was adopted from Colombia. This is his home. And so sometimes it's going to mean that our daughter and, and son-in-law, Aaron and Leah, they're school teachers in downtown L.A., and they're going to move to Seattle um, this uh, summer. And they were watching the online services of their new church. They've already found a great church there in Seattle that they're going to go to, a wonderful church. And they were watching it online uh, last Sunday. And the title of the pastor's message was, It's Time to Move. Boy, that'll make hair raised up on the back of your head, you know. And uh, it's, it, it's time to move. And for them, uh, for them it is. So it may mean leaving your home. It does not mean leaving your wife. I want to make that very, very clear. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. But he is talking about having a sense of priority in which God is number one over these things. Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Okay, seek first. This has been my life verse. Found it true over and over again. If you make him number one in those areas, those other areas will be blessed. It's called the first fruits principle. Make Christ number one in those areas. Put Christ ahead 
of the, those areas of your life, and he will bless those. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Some people worship their spouse over God, and, and it doesn't work that well. Your marriage will be blessed if you make God number one. Brothers, sisters, parents, or children. Um, some parents make their children number one in their lives. And I'm telling you, if you make God number one and your children somewhere after that, things will be blessed for your children as well. That's the best way to bless your children is not to make them number one in your life. Make God number one. Seek first his kingdom and all these other things, your parenting, your marriage, all the other areas of your life will fall into place for the sake of the kingdom of God. If we do that, we will not fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Not one thing you give up for Christ in this life is not going to be, every one of those things is going to be rewarded in heaven and rewarded in this life. You will find that those things that you give up for the cause of Christ, he will even bless you in this life. You give up finances uh, for the cause of Christ, you'll receive your reward in heaven, but you'll be blessed in that area in this life. Uh, Anything you give up in this life will be blessed more in this life and in eternity in heaven. Would you turn with me to the next page of your study outline? Uh, Why are we so afraid? Uh, We worry, what if the price is is too high? What if God asks me to die for him or to give up an ungodly relationship for him? What if God asks me to stop parting for him or to forgive somebody who's hurt me deeply or live in a neighborhood that I don't like? What if following Christ has a higher price tag than I want? What if Jesus asked for that? He asked for 100% commitment. But this is not a foolish thing uh, for him to ask. It is not foolish for us to obey. I love the story of Jim Elliott. Um, Graduated from Wheaton College, my alma mater, one of the dormitories on campus was named after him. He goes with four other missionary friends to share Jesus with the Aka Indians in the jungles of Ecuador. And they misunderstand their intentions, and all five of them are killed uh, back in 1956. His wife takes their little baby girl and goes to that same tribe and shares Jesus, the same tribe where they killed his husband or her husband, and actually uh, share Christ with them, and almost the entire tribe become followers of Christ. As a matter of fact, the lead pastor in the church there was the actual man who had killed her husband. And on the foundation of his death, they built one of the most powerful group of believers on the face of the earth. And Jim Elliott wrote these words. They found him in his diary after he had been killed, a martyred for Christ. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You are never a fool to give up the stuff of this life that you can't keep anyway. There are no U-Haul trailers behind hearses. You, you can't keep it anyway. Nobody's a fool to give up that which you cannot keep in order to gain something in heaven for eternity that you can never, ever lose. Ed Young Jr. writes, commitment means to pledge yourself to a position no matter what the price tag. We want to be committed like that. But we're afraid. And I think the key that we're going to talk about the next few minutes is what my friend Dane Ocker says. The more you trust God's character, the less you'll be afraid of commitment. 
Remember when you were a kid, your mom or dad was in the swimming pool, and they said, jump, and you'd just jump. Why? Because you trusted your mom or your dad. And the same thing is true with God. The more we trust his character, the less we'll be afraid of making that commitment. God is committed to keeping his promises to you. I think the number one reason that people struggle with fear of commitment today, either commitment to God or to other people, is that you've been hurt. Uh, A parent that didn't keep a promise to you, or an ex-spouse, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend that was unfaithful to you, or a friend that stabbed you in the back, or a church that let you down, or a pastor that let you down, and you don't want to get hurt again. And here's the problem. We will all get hurt. People are going to let us down. I'm going to try not to, but your pastor will let you down. Um, Our church will try not to, but our church will let you down. The problem is we get hurt in this life because people let us down. But God is a commitment maker, and he's a commitment keeper. You can trust him when you can't always trust other people. 2 Timothy 2, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Number 23, God is not human, that he should lie, not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Uh, Every one of you in this room, every one of us have been lied to by another person. But God will never lie to you. When he makes a promise, he will always fulfill it. And he's made all kinds of promises to us. He's promised to forgive our sins, to prepare a place for you in heaven, to work all things together for good in your life according to his good purposes. He's promised to fill you with his Holy Spirit. He's promised to give you a life that is abundant. He's promised to hear and to answer your prayers. He's promised to meet your needs. He is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Dwight L. Moody wrote, trust in yourself and you're doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in money and you may have it taken from you. Trust in your reputation and some slanderous tongue may blast it. But trust in God and you are never to be confounded in time or eternity. God is committed to giving you a life of purpose. Psalm 37 says, commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he'll do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Now this word commit is from the Hebrew word goal, which means to roll. Goal means to roll. To roll your ways on to the Lord. Um, I just want to share with you a 10-second perfect picture of this Hebrew word. It's an historic event that happened in the Gunderson family just a couple of days ago. Let's watch this. It's just amazing. Just amazing. I am hereby 
uh, I'm here by a disgrace, okay? I mean, I admit, I admit a, a shameless is the word I meant to say. I'm shameless uh, in uh, inserting those things in. But to roll over uh, by the name, his way, his name is James Glenn Schilling, with the emphasis on the middle name, okay? James, you whisper, James Glenn Schilling. That's how you're supposed to say the name. So we roll your ways onto the Lord. Roll your ways onto the Lord. Trust in him and he'll do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. That doesn't mean you're going to have a pain-free life. Uh, This is what it means, Philippians 2. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Okay? That's what he's going to do in your life when you totally commit your life to him. He's going to work in your life to help you f- to fulfill his good purpose within your life. Let me ask you a question. What's the goal in our lives? What's the goal in your life? Is my goal to have a nice car, have a nice house, eat every once in a while in a nice restaurant, uh, to take a nice vacation once a year? Is my goal to watch TV or to play video games Is my goal uh, to have a nice retirement? Uh, Or is my goal to fulfill God's purpose for His glory? Total commitment to fulfilling God's purpose in my life for His glory. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Uh, It's not always going to be convenient or easy. It's going to cost us uh, something. Maybe it'll cost us a great deal. Put a picture up there of Danjuma Shikaru, 13 years old. When Boko Haram attacked his Christian village in Nigeria, they gouged out his right eye, cut his genitals off, and severely cut open his head. He's completely blind now, but he said this, there is no problem. I have allowed God to handle everything. I forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. If they had love, they wouldn't behave that way. The joy comes from the Lord. Now talk about bringing glory to God. Now God calls us all to different lives. Danjuma is called to live his life in Nigeria, but you've been called to live in the Inland Valley and to bring glory to God where you are. Um, As Pastor Brian likes to say, your mission field is your zip code. Or as we often say, your mission field is your oikos, the 8 to 15 people that God has orchestrated to be in your sphere of influence, and, and your assignment from God is to go to heaven and to take your oikos with you. And, and so you bring glory to God. Every time you forgive someone, you bring glory to God. Every time you have an unfair boss, and you still have a good attitude in spite of that unfair boss, you bring glory to God. Every time you, you come to church, on a holiday weekend, you give glory to God. Uh, every time you're a godly mom or a godly dad, you bring glory to God. Every time you serve in some capacity, serve other people or serve God, you are bringing um, glory uh, to God. And then God is committed to empowering his followers. When you make a total commitment to him, he's not going to leave you out there. He's got his resurrection power his, his post-resurrection power by his shed blood on the cross and his resurrection power, uh, he uh, has that power to empower you, to help you in fulfilling that commitment to him. Second Chronicles 16.9 is such a powerful verse. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
He's not going to leave you alone in this. You jump into the pool, into his arms, and his eyes are searching for people that are fully committed to him, and he's going to strengthen them in their resolve. Second Peter, Peter writes, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You know, some of you are afraid to take this step because you've taken it before and you failed. You feel like you're going to fail again. You feel like you've tried to be committed before and, and you flaked out. Or maybe you started going to celebrate recovery and, and dropped out. Or you started to read the New Testament and quit. Or you tried to be sexually pure and you fell back into sin. You tried to forgive, but now you're more bitter than ever. Now here's the key. You stop right now. You ask for forgiveness. God will get you back on your feet once again and let him help you, strengthen you in recommitting yourself to that total commitment. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Talk about the ultimate act of commitment. He died for you. He died so that you could start all over again and live for him. Now, why are we so afraid of totally committing to a God who is so committed to us that he gave his life on the cross for us? And it comes down to, do we really trust God's character? Uh, Charles Blondin was a world-renowned tightrope walk artist. On June 30th, 1859, before a stunned crowd of 100,000 onlookers, he was the first person to cross Niagara Falls by tightrope. He crossed 1,100 feet. That's almost four football fields. He was an average of 200 feet above the water the entire way. In the years to come, Blondin did it again and again and again. He did it on stilts. He did it in a sack and even pushing a wheelbarrow. One time, a man yelled from the sideline, you could cross with a man in that wheelbarrow. Blondin agreed and invited the man to climb in. (laughs) He didn't do it. And I wouldn't do it either, and I wouldn't recommend it. Why? Because Charles Blondin, as great as he was, he was human. But there's a big difference between Charles Blondin and Jesus Christ. And there's a big difference between admiring Christ and being committed to Christ. You could admire him as a great teacher, as a great leader. But that's a totally different thing from committing yourself to him. Are you willing to climb into the wheelbarrow? And say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll obey you in whatever you say. I'll give you whatever you ask for. I'll live however you want me to live. And I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Everybody bow their heads before the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make or remake that commitment, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand right now so I can be in prayer for you. Just right where you sit, just raise your hand. Say, I'm all in. I see that. Okay, I see over on my right. I see that. Anybody else on the main floor? I see that over on my left. I see that. Okay, great. How about in the balcony? On the right-hand side, I see you. On my right-hand side, your left. Up in the middle of the balcony, just raise your hand saying, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. On the left-hand side, just slip up your hand. On my left, your right, I see that. Okay, you got it. Got it. 
Anybody else anywhere in the worship center just want to slip up your hand and say, I'm all in. I want to commit myself. Would you pray this prayer silently as I pray out loud? Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was, and he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. I want to climb into the wheelbarrow with you in complete control. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I thank you that by opening my heart to you and receiving you as my Savior for the forgiveness of my sins and climbing in the wheelbarrow and making you the Lord of my life, I can say with confidence, it is well with my soul. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen.